Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to another riveting episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. So glad you decided to join us, or so glad you let your smart device just download this on the fly. (laughs) Whatever got you here, we're glad you're here. Well, uh, I've got another uh, good interview teed up. It's actually going to go in a little different direction. We're going to talk about that here in a second. But first, wanted to do some updates here on the farm. We uh, we're in the process of weaning, so we've got all of our piglets in piglet jail right now. So they're hanging out in the uh, weaning barn, which is, of course, our farrowing barn as well. So we, we double duty there and actually just checked on them before coming in here to record these bumpers. And uh, everybody's doing well, even with this. Uh, we're experiencing a little bit of a dry spell here in West Virginia, believe it or not. In fact, it's been about two and a half weeks since we've had any measurable rain at all. So we're starting to see that. In fact, I had to, had to pump water for the sow's wallow for the first time. That's the first time in years I've had to do that. But is what it is. It's all part of the experience, right? So we're a little dry right now, so now would be a good time to do some earthworks. So um, we're actually got a little mini vacation coming up. Since we get back from that, we are going to get some heavy equipment in here and move some dirt while it's dirt and not mud and see if we can do some improvements here uh, on Red Tool House. Um, another quick shout out real quick to uh, our Patreon supporters. Appreciate everyone that's, uh, that's jo- uh, joining and supporting us there. Um, as, actually, at the beginning of recording this, I had another one pop up. I appreciate it. It seems like every time I do bumpers, somebody joins. So I just need to keep recording bumpers all day long, right? So I want to give a shout out to Jordan Salyards for signing up and supporting us on Patreon. Really appreciate every single one of you that do that. That helps out tremendously and really anxious to, to be able to pull the trigger on some of the things that we've uh, that we've done and that we're working on. We hit a certain benchmark. But already, if you're a Patreon supporter at any level, obviously you get the bonus episodes where we're in our marketing discussions right now and have had some good uh, conversation going on there. So be sure to check those out. Uh, those of you that are already Patreon uh, supporters, if you have any issues with that and you, you don't know where to find the feed, just send me an email. And uh, you can email me at troy at redtoolhouse.com and I can make sure you've got the link to that feed. It'll download automatically just like these podcast episodes do once you have that RSS feed plugged in. All right, so today we are talking with somebody, and as soon as I get my notes to pop up here, <laughs> we are talking with Colin Buzerak, and I'm sorry, Buzerak, sorry, Colin, I even had it spelled out phonetically there and still butchered it, Colin Buzerak. Uh, Colin is in New York at Starry Ridge Farm, and man, I, I, I know I sound like a broken record, really enjoyed this conversation. That's what I love about doing this. So we're up to, what, 60-some, almost 70 episodes, and every single person I've interviewed just has a unique perspective on something that's going on in their farm. It's not like cookie cutter. At least I hope you guys feel the same way, that we're not uh, just plowing the same ground every single time we do an episode, that we're, um, we're actually looking at new stuff and you're, you're getting a different perspective on pastured piggery. Uh, I, I find it that way, so... Hopefully you do as well. But uh, what's interesting with our conversation between Colin and I, we kind of went in a different direction. We, we did talk about pigs, of course, but um, as you get in and you listen to what he's talking about, he's got an established farm that has quite a few other revenue generating elements together. And pigs are just a piece of a multi-piece puzzle. Uh, so it, it's really neat to see. I, I'm a big fan of polyculture. I'm a big fan of, of diverse income streams. That way, if something happens in the pig market, you've got something else to fall back on. But it's really neat to listen to him talk about taking the land that he was, uh, was able to get through family and had some things already established, had some good management practices already in place. Uh, so decades of good management have really paid off for him. So he's, you know, I think he talks about the sugar bush he has for maple syrup production. Uh, some of the things where it was just somebody being ecologically sound back then to make the right choices now, and he's able to reap the benefits of that. So that's something I, you know, I'd like to plant the seed in all of our minds that, um, you know, if you're my age and you're you're in your late 40s and you're thinking I got maybe you know, 15, 20 years of this uh, hard push maybe. 
So what's the farm going to look like then? Um, yeah, that's one way to look at it, but also look at it and say, what if my kids or what if somebody else's kids decide they want to do this? Then how neat would it be for somebody to come in and pick up where I left off? Hopefully, hopefully somebody didn't come in and doze it and turn it into a housing development. <laughs> you never know, right? <laughs> Obviously, I guess I could do some things in trust to make sure that didn't happen, but I don't want to think about that right now. So anyway, back on track. So I'm uh, anxious to play this interview with you guys or for you guys with Colin so you can hear what exactly what he has going on up there in New York. So I'm going to, without further ado, I'm going to roll on to Colin and then I'll catch you guys on the backside of the interview. So back up in New England and we're talking with Colin Buzerak. He's at Starry Ridge Farms in Petersburg, New York. So welcome, Colin. Hey, Troy. How's it going today? Going well, going well. Glad you could uh, take some time to join us. I know you, uh, You've got a lot going on right now, so I appreciate you taking the time out of the evening to uh, to come sit down and talk with me. Yeah, not a problem. I'm happy to happy to do it. A uh, long time listener of you uh, of your podcast, and happy to be a part of it. Wonderful, wonderful. All right. So tell me a little bit about Starry Ridge Farm. Give me that forty thousand foot elevation description there. So Starry Ridge Farm was originally bought by my father back in uh, nineteen seventy six. Um, he had bought it as kind of a second home, second property to eventually build a home on and, and move up. He lived down in Westchester County at the time. Um, after meeting my mother and uh, when my older brother was born, they decided it was a good idea to kind of move up here full time. So they came up here in the early 80s. So we're situated in uh, upstate New York, um, right on the tri-state of Vermont, Massachusetts, and New York. I'm literally the border town of, of both of those. You can see the hillside, and right over over that side is Massachusetts and Vermont, and the Williamstown, which is a nice little town in Massachusetts that's uh, uh, it's got a nice college in it. There's a, a farmer's market over there. Pretty good, um, pretty good nightlife and everything. And then there's town of Vermont, and that's just kind of a smaller little town, but there's also Bennington, and then you can get further up into Vermont pretty easily from there. Um, so we're situated kind of in a bowl. We own 135 acres, roughly, um, and of that, it's all on a hillside, which I know you know all about. <laughs> um, we've only got flat land that we created, so <laughs> we don't have don't have anything to, that's too easy to work with, but it definitely works well for, for uh, raising animals and, and doing things like that. Um, and uh, that's kind of, we're positioned mostly to the east and to the south. Uh, we've got a little bit of the north facing hillside as well. And inside that we've got, uh, let's see, about two and a half acres or so of um, agricultural land that we've created on, on terraces and in the, the left slope areas on our farm. Um, and with that, we're doing uh, lots of vegetable production for our CSA. We've got a 40-member CSA uh, that my girlfriend Kat and I run. Um, and then surrounding that is mostly hardwood and uh, deciduous forest. And um, about maybe 35 or, or so acres of uh, pretty overgrown fields at this point, but we've maintained a, a good portion of it, and that's that's what we're going to be fencing in over the next year or so. And um, we've also got some pasture ground that we're actually working with that got some hard fence stuff, and got some electric fence on the way to start putting that up here pretty soon. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that sounds like a great setup. Uh, talking about your elevation there, what um, do you know your elevation difference? So what's your overall relief of the farm on average? Yeah, we've got, um, let's see, I think down at the bottom of the road, it's right around 900 or mm -hmm. so feet. And then the highest point we've got is like uh, uh, like 16 plus, 1600 plus feet. Oh, okay. That's pretty good change. That's what, yeah. seven, 700 and some feet. Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's pretty substantial. That's uh, I'm only dealing with a couple hundred feet uh, of relief in on our hundred acres, but that uh, still makes it interesting for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's definitely you know it's it, it's interesting kind of how how the land works. There's definitely some really steep spots once you get further up the hill, but the the beginning of the hill is relatively gradual. Yeah. Um, and that's most of our stuff. Our 
houses are situated right around a thousand foot or almost eleven hundred feet. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of our our sweet spot is right in there. There's a bunch of gardens and stuff right around. There. Yeah, absolutely. Now you said your 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 folks bought that. So are you all dual multiple dwellings on there? You guys sharing a residence? What? How do you have that set up? Yeah. So originally my dad bought it. He actually originally bought a piece of property down in West Virginia. I can't remember exactly yeah, where, looking. but he was for, I think, a year or so. And then he found this spot up here, and he had been coming up here with a friend for uh, his grandparents lived up here, and he really loved the area. So he uh, he ended up uh, moving up here instead. Um, but when he originally bought the majority of the land, uh, he bought it with a few friends. And then throughout the years, uh, most of them sold out. Uh, to him, uh, except for one lady who still uh, lives on kind of on the property. It's not it's not part of the 138 acres or whatever that we own. Uh, it's actually she's got her own separate five acres. We just use the same uh, same driveway. Yeah. Um, and then there's one other person. There was uh, another person that kind of bought in later on and built the house on top. Okay. So, um, but yeah, my parents live on the property. And then my girlfriend Kat and I live on the property here as well. Um, and actually, at, in the, at the moment, her mom lives in my parents' uh, um, kind of guest side of the house while she's about to buy a piece of property. Oh yeah! All right, cool. Sounds like that's yeah. uh, that can, sounds pr pretty cozy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then actually, my brother just closed on a piece of property, um, 170 acres. Actually, that's just one property over. From Oh wow! Oh cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. It's uh, it it wasn't his first pick of of, of pieces around here, but it kind of just worked out really well. He got a great deal on it, and uh, and yeah, he just closed on it. He just got um, I can't remember exactly when he closed on it. Early April, I think. Good deal. Yeah, that sounds great. It's and man, it's handy to have family around like that when it comes time to. Uh, Tackling big tasks or covering things while you're out, so that uh, that always comes Thanks. in handy. Well, um, let's let's do this because I, I I want our listeners to hear more about your polyculture. Because looking at your pre-screen stuff, that I really like this idea, and I, and, and I want to make sure our listeners hear all the different opportunities with polyculture. This is the Pastured Pig Podcast, but looking at the opportunity of having multiple revenue sources from your farm and not having those proverbial eggs in the one basket can help with cash flow, can help with the, the ecology of the farm, can help with a whole lot of things. So so we're going to stick a pin in that for now and come to that as we, as we get into this this overall discussion. But let's first talk about your pig experience. I know you've you've got experience raising pigs primarily on kind of like a private scale level, but even doing your own processing and even specialty finishing. So let's talk about that. So give me the history and, and your experience with raising hogs. Yeah. Um, let's see. The first time I raised pigs, I think I was 17 years old and, uh, I got two little wiener pigs from my neighbor. Um, can't remember, I think they were like 50 bucks a piece. And, uh, I was, I had been reading a bunch of, uh, uh, pastured pig stuff before that. And, you know, all these guys are keeping it in with electric fence. I said, well, we'll try that. Everybody thought I was crazy around here, which was not a good feeling for me at first. But then I found out, boy, they train on electric so easily. It, it just, it, it never became a problem. Um, so yeah, first, first time I raised them, I was like, I think I was 17 right before I graduated high school. I just raised a couple for ourselves um and then over the years right after i graduated high school that next year i um i started up the csa my parents had run uh, a csa vegetable csa uh when i was younger i was like four or five um and then over the years i was like oh you know i'd love to start that back up i'd love to start that back up right after i graduated high school i i i did i started that up for a season um, and that, uh, that year I raised, let's see, I raised, uh, two the first year, then I think I raised three, three or four the next year, and then I jumped right up to about eight the year after that. Um, and that, that, that year I raised them and, and sold them to CSA members, mostly, uh, in, 
CSA members and neighbors that did all the processing themselves. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. They were pretty rural here. Um, we're about 45 minutes east of Albany, so uh, there is a good market base over there. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, for our CSA, it's all local local folks that are either a town away or so, um, and most of them right here in Petersburg. Um, so I raised a few hogs that one year for, uh, for some sales, um, and then I had actually moved away right after that season and moved to uh, Colorado, um, and then I actually was away for about seven years uh, moving around. So uh, I didn't have any pigs while I was, while I was traveling and, and living other places. Um, but then once I did get back home here, I, uh, I got another round of pigs the first year I was back. Um, and uh, let's see, that was three years ago. So yeah, I've been raising pigs um, the last couple of years as well, all for home use. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you talked about on-farm processing, and then I know there's uh, there's some in your pre-screen. You talked about some uh, doing some of your own curing and trying some of those things. So uh, tell a little bit about that, uh, your experience, and, and how that went. Yeah, sure. Um, well, we were the first year we did it. Uh, we were we had our uh, one of our local friends here, this older guy Dan. He came over and taught my brother how to do the whole processing and, uh, you know, the, the slaughter and the, and the processing. Um, and then we kind of took it from there and, and put our own spin on it. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely the my preferred method. Um, you really uh, are able to show the animal all the respect you possibly can when you're, when you're the one that does all the work. Um, and uh, obviously it would be harder on a larger scale. I don't think I'd be able to do that. Completely, if I end up raising a bunch of hogs at the same time, but uh, for home use especially. Um, so we, we definitely do all of our own butchering, and then we make our own sausages, and we do uh, taste sausages, and and then we uh, cure and, and smoke our own bacon and ham. All right, very good. So do you do old school smokehouse, or do you cold smoke, or do you do a electric smoker? What, how do you smoke? Yeah, we actually built a, uh, I got this nice um, uh, two-door commercial stainless steel refrigerator from uh, from somebody at some point, and the compressor was bad, and I was going to turn it into a cooler, but it was kind of too much work to, for too little space, but then my brother and I were like, oh, we should cut the compressor out and cut a hole in the bottom and turn it into a smoker, and that's what we did. We built oak. Oh, oak shelves and oak uh, runners in there to throw in some, like, uh, screens if we were going to do jerky. So, and we got two, two boxes, two fire boxes, so we can have a cold smoke or a hot smoke. Um, and uh, then we got some hanging points. We got some, um, we just kind of built an oak frame and stuck it inside, built it inside there so that we could uh, have a nice sturdy um, uh, top points. And we've got a bunch of eye bolts that we can hang, uh, whatever we got done chickens and we've done uh, the hams and and uh, the bacons in there we do yeah. we smoke them right? and uh, or until we feel like it's about ready and about time and then that's that and then we do our own uh, our own kind of specialty uh, apple cider based uh, brine that we do so then we kind of mix that up every year we kind of mess around with, with what we put in there this or that so yeah all right so with your experience in pigs and uh, this this desire to grow and, and get into a little bit more of uh, resale some commercial elements of the of your pig processing or, or pig production what does that look like uh, what, what are your plans here in the next year um so actually my my one pig now uh that i kept over the winter dotty uh she's a Gloucestershire old spot um, that's kind of what I've found I preferred to, to raise after kind of getting some of some of these and some of that in the early years and, and seeing seeing who I like. I, I found that the old spots are kind of my favorite. Um, and I really like the, the carcass that they produce. It's, it's just great. Um, 
uh, you kind of, especially if you're running them a lot. I, I, I move them a lot. I usually move them through about four or so acres a season. Um, so they never really get fatty, fatty, but then uh, they still have plenty of plenty of fat to make lard off of, or just and they end up marbling out beautifully, actually, if if, uh, if if you're moving around like that all the time and still give them a good diet. We've got a lot of uh, old apple trees and and um, and old and nice nice oak trees and stuff, so we move them through those zones quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but she, let's see, a couple, about a month or so ago, uh, she got to meet her boyfriend, Earl, at my buddy's farm just up the road, uh, and he's a registered old spot. Um, and she should be having piglets. It's seeming like she's gonna. She hasn't come back into heat. It's been, um, it's been almost almost two cycles since uh, since she was bred. So, so I'm I'm pretty good. She's getting she's getting pretty big. I've actually I've never sparrowed before, so this is the first to that. But um, it seems like she's getting bigger at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's that's. That's what she's got going on. As soon as she's got the piglets, I'm gonna kind of know how many I'm working with, and then I'm just gonna I'm kind of planning on keeping all the gilts that I can, and uh, and then I'm gonna try to buy in a registered boar, um, and then kind of start my own little breeding herd. So um, as far as numbers, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I sure would like to have at least three, three or more uh, gilts by the end of the season that I know I'll be keeping out and, and breeding for the next year. Yeah, so great. So it sounds like this this year is a year to get your get your genetics lined up, get your, your breeding uh, group lined out, and then I assume any boars or, or I assume what will become barrows, uh, you'll, you'll process those off at the end of their life cycle and, and, and either consume that yourself depending on the numbers or, or possibly, possibly even put those up for sale and through uh, holes and halves or cuts. until you do it and, and just see how it fits into your model and and uh, and just just give it a go yeah that's that's one thing that uh, tell you you live live and die by that that philosophy I find myself you know always still having learning experiences from different things just because uh, they throw you a curveball you weren't expecting so it you just learn from it and and hopefully improve for the next time yeah yep that's kind of my my way to learn learn on the fly and, and uh and uh, experience it, and really, really get everything there is from it. And uh, I've always found, at least for me, that that's definitely the way that I can, well, the way that I can know what I really want to do with whatever uh, idea or situation or whatever it is that I've got going on. You know. Yeah, yeah, good deal, good deal. Yeah, so I'm anxious to see how that turns out. How your first farrowing goes. Be curious to see how uh, your farrowing goes. Uh, are, are you thinking you're going to have a specific farrowing spot? Are you going to let her farrow out in pasture? Do you have a? What's your philosophy or theory on that right now? Yeah, I. Uh, you know, I've I've kind of gone back and forth, but um, last year uh, in the fall, I got uh, my the starting of my uh, my beef herd. So I ended up uh, and just kind of put the uh, cart before the horse, this one, and horse before the cart, whichever way it goes. <laughs> but uh, I got the cows before the fence. Mm. <laughs> I had to build a barn and kind of keep them corralled at first, and then I got them in the barn, and I, I kind of did the Joel Salson style uh, deep litter bedding, uh, deep litter bedding pack. Uh, that's where I kept the cows for the winter. And then once I was able to get them out on grass and some fence up, now they're out on grass. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm planning on moving her. Right now she's on pasture, um, 
pretty close to the barn, so I'm just going to kind of keep scooting her down, back down the hill to the, to the barn, which is actually at the bottom of our property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think I'm just going to kind of set her up in there, and and uh, she'll, she'll have a little run to be out up in the uh, kind of like the lower pasture zone at first, and then I'll kind of tighten her up once she's going to farrow. And, and yeah, if all goes well, she'll be having somewhere in around the barn, and they can kind of start their life down there. Yeah, excellent. Good deal. Yeah, that sounds like you've got to put some thought into that and have a game plan in place. Good deal. Well, let's uh, let's do this. Let's talk about, uh, let's take the pen out of what we, we said we were going to talk about earlier and um, describe the, with your 130 acres, this polyculture element you have. There's, and, and maybe let's look at this in two, two areas. So uh, let's talk about some areas. You mentioned your CSA. You mentioned some cattle. There's some other things I know you were doing. Let's talk about that as far as potential revenue streams or, or existing revenue streams for you on the farm. And then part two of that would be some of the additional, maybe even permaculture elements or ecological elements that you're adding to the farm for this uh, well-balanced 130 acres. Yeah, definitely. Um, So when I uh, was growing, my parents are very, very into uh, the homesteading style and uh, homesteading lifestyle with everything goes along with it. We were always out in the gardens, and those were our chores that every day is watering this or harvesting that, or, you know, my brother and I always wanted um, chickens or whatever, so we always had some land. Um, and as I mentioned before, my parents did run a CSA when I was younger. It was smaller. I can't remember exactly how many members they had, but um, they did that. So growing up, I was uh, fully involved in, um, for sure, the like homesteading uh, concept. And um, on top of that, my parents are also uh, master woodworkers and, and build and design custom frame homes. So they don't anymore. They're retired. I took over for from them with that. Uh, so they they just brought me up being on the land and, and, and trying to understand it and throughout the years uh, I kept showing interest and they they definitely uh, helped out by bringing us to uh, like Cornell Cooperative Extension meetups at different farms or, or, or whatever like that or the NOFA conferences that we have around here which is so great um, so I've just kind of always been pretty passionate about working and I also mentioned before that I moved away when I was, uh, let's see, I would have been 20 when I moved away. I um, moved to Colorado. Another huge passion in my life is always snowboarding um, and extreme sports. So I worked in the ski industry for quite a while. That's actually what got me to move away and then also what got me to kind of keep moving from there. Um, so I spent quite a bit of time uh, chasing the best snow and I worked in terrain parks, building jumps and setting up rails and working with professional skiers and snowboarders and building them their own uh, setups and courses for training for big air competitions and things like that. Um, but I always had uh, lots and lots of desire to eventually move back home to start the farm back up again. Yeah. Um, cool. Kind of the direction I wanted to go with it. So. Uh, once I did move back, um, I was kind of just throwing around all the ideas of this way and that way to kind of to work it. And I always knew the CSA is kind of like a, a pretty good uh, base, base to start out at, you know, and, and it just works really well. We've got friends and neighbors that always have for growing vegetables, and um, that was kind of just the first place to start in my And it worked out pretty well. It's our second season for that. Uh, the first year, I didn't do anything because I was busy with a few carpentry projects. Um, still am, actually. I uh, was laying floor this morning. Hmm. finished that up project I'm doing right now. But um, as far as the farm goes, uh, that's the main revenue source. Uh, we also have uh, a pretty uh, spectacular sugar bush with some beautiful old trees. Um, and 
that's what my brother and I do. So that's another small portion of the of the, the revenue stream. Um, and as far as as far as on the farm, that's that's really what we're what we've got for uh, for profit. But um, on top of all of that, we've also got oh, we've got uh, on the animal side, we've got the Dottie the pig. We've got six cattle, um, three or four uh, cows, well, three heifers, one cow, and then two uh, young bulls. Um, and then we've also got, I've got somewhere around 80 or so laying hens right now, uh, and uh, about 100 little baby chicks that just arrived in the mail last, last week. Are those broilers or are those uh, egg layers? They're all egg layers. Yeah. I've done for 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 this season. Um, if that doing meat birds is just uh, it was just too much to to take on, and there's just one more thing. And, and personally, I'm uh, I, I just I love having the eggs at market or for for sale for our CSA members, and and we also sell to a couple of restaurants around here as well. Yeah. Our eggs. Um, as well as extra produce that yeah. we have. Most of it goes to our CSA members. We try to make sure that we have as much uh, much vegetable and yeah. produce for them as possible. Yeah. Um, so annual agriculture, we've got basically anything you can grow. Uh, well, we have grown basically anything you can grow in this area, but we primarily focus on kind of like high-production greens, Lettuce, uh, you know, kale, Swiss chard, things along those lines, as well as your kind of your staple crops uh, for summer production with your carrots and we got peas and beans, um, all sorts of other stuff. I mean, just just about everything you can think of. Tomatoes, cucumbers. We actually just got two. two we bought two greenhouses, eighteen by hundred foot greenhouses. Um, We've got one set up so far, and we're about to up the other one. We actually got a grant for, uh, from the NRCS for another uh, 30 by 100 green that we'll be uh, able to purchase here sometime this year and set up as well. Wow. We'll be able to really bump up our um, our our capacity for, for cucumbers. We've got enough moisture to where uh, powdery mildew becomes a serious problem with our cucumbers. And as well as the cucumber beetles, which just absolutely ravage any surface that you have out, so uh, that becomes a bit of a problem. Uh, so greenhouse space is, is highly sought after. Um, so that's kind of our annual culture side. And then as far as perennial stuff, we've got a bunch of old blueberry bushes that my parents planted um, years ago. Uh, they planted about 20 or so when they had first moved up and another uh, 40 or 50 after I, right around when I was born. So they're, uh, you know, the younger ones are about 30 years old right now and they are just hanging with, with flowers right now. Just grouped to the ground this year. I can just tell it's just the perfect season for blueberries. Um, and then we've got some, you know, we've, the, a really cool thing about our property is it used to be an old cider orchard about a, about a hundred years ago. There's a, a farmer actually the the road that my or the name of my road is Fred Moon Road, and that was that was the guy that was the cider guy in town for a while. And he had uh, cider apples apple trees up on this property, um, some of which are still standing. And then from those, there are just hundreds hundreds of uh, wild seedling apples that are just scattered all over the place. Um, and they're really, there's some really cool, you know, no, nobody else has these varieties and, and it's cool when you prune one out and really take care of it, they produce beautiful apples. Um, so, and, uh, we actually sell some of those apples to a local cider maker right here in town. He's got a, a really good business. He goes down to New York City. He's from New York City and has a place. He also has a place up here, and he sells his uh, cider, and we supply him with some some wild, crazy hillside 
apples to make some, some cool ciders out of that he does. So yeah. <laughs> that's uh, another another little thing, and we're going to be clearing out. we got about six inches or so, I'd say, of uh, pretty densely um, self-seeded apple areas, which is pretty cool. And uh, working with working with those trees is really fun. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot of potential there for, for so many things, like you say. Yeah. I mean, there's so much byproduct coming out of that area that's been neglected that uh, it has a lot of value to it. So um, I'm going to back up a little bit. I know I, I'm, I'm about 99% confident that everybody listening knows what a CSA is, or a CSA is but I, I think just, just for the sake of that, that the key is um, for, ca for cash flow, the CSA is extremely helpful because you, you get that cash flow started in the beginning of the year, I assume, and it obviously runs throughout your season. And uh, so it's high intensity, the work that you're doing during growing season, but that cash flow is going with you. Whereas when we look at the protein side of farming, where you've got cattle or you've got pigs and, and even broiler chickens to some degree, there's that layover of, of cash, you know, way more for cattle. Uh, half a year or so for pigs and of course you know maybe a couple months if you're doing broiler chickens but it sounds like with your CSA what's what's really bringing a lot to the table is not only the traditional veg side but you've got the eggs you've got some of this you know the blueberries you've got some of these other options that you can provide to your CSA clients to really keep them engaged is, is that fair to say yeah yeah definitely and, uh, and that's something that I'm I'm really pushing for and that's where kind of where my head's at with with the whole farm concept is um you know I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to use this land uh it's absolutely not ideal agriculture land but the soil itself is beautiful and, and where there are places where we can work it it's 100 percent worth um uh growing vegetable crops but i'm definitely uh i've got uh my permaculture design certificate as well as just years and years of, of um, hands-on experience, as well as just uh, reading so many uh, books and, and online forums and online uh, articles and things like that that have to do with uh, perennial agriculture. And that's, that's the direction that I'm really steering a good portion of our property towards. We, we don't have big areas to do big row crops and things like that, so there's there's no reason for me to be trying to compete with anybody on on, uh, on growing commodity vegetables or anything like that. But if you can find that, um, you know, at least the direct uh, the direct to consumer market, like like you said, through a CSA community supported agriculture, you know, using the community around us to help support the farm and the greater picture of everything, which is eventually hopefully going to be um, uh, not only just seasonal veg, but also uh, breaking into um, real production of uh, protein sources and fat and, and oil sources through, uh, I've been doing a, a good amount of, of hazelnut planting and chestnut planting and, and walnuts and butternut, as well as some other fruit trees and things like that. And I see, you know, I see the the real future of uh, small farms that are my size um, being able to really push that perennial agriculture uh, to the next level and, and, and truly being able to support a community uh, with a, a large portion of their dietary needs. Um, and then you add in animals on top of that, and, you know, we've got the cows grazing through the, the hazelnut and the chestnut and the apple planted areas and then you get the pigs that come through and clean up what you don't harvest and then you know you can run chickens through there and we've got lots and lots of water we've got all of our water on property is, is uh, gravity spring fed hmm. so uh, we've got lots of springs just spouting up all over the place all, all over our hills, so we've got tons and tons of potential for pond sites, uh, which is great for irrigation, great for um, livestock uh, watering, but it's also great for another source of, of protein as well in, in the form of fish, and um, 
we've got one good-sized pond on our property that's just stocked with some beautiful bass right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I plan to, to build quite a few more. I've got an excavator, and, and my brother just bought a little bulldozer. So between those two, we should be able to push ourselves out some pretty nice ponds and, and get some more of that going on. Um, so, yeah, I definitely see that kind of that whole diet CSA uh, concept is really kind of what I'm pushing for and, and trying to get, uh, you know, not go big in one one way. It's going kind of big in the whole picture and, and, and getting getting my uh, my hands in as many um, as many uh, enterprises as possible. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and and that's probably the point that I I really wanted to underscore and make sure our listeners picked up on. And, and this is what I love. And again, so this is me putting my marketing and business hat on. So looking at, you know, you've got a customer base, you've got a captive audience with the CSA, you've got subscribers who are already investing heavily into your farm because you've established that relationship with them with the CSA. So as that grows, whether that grows in the total number of subscribers you have, the, the total number of CSA clients, or it grows in the value added services you're offering. So I love the fact that you can say, well, I'm going to start looking at protein and oil and fat production through these nuts. We well, don't have to become a huge commercial nut producer. You can stick your toe in the water, test that out, and obviously let your CSA clients, because if it's one of those things, I, I don't know the size of your CSA, but let's say it's 35 shares. Well, 35 shares of testing a new area is a lot easier than do to say, okay, I'm going to invest all this stuff and try to hit the ground running and the economy of scale I need to do it at. I got to have all this expensive equipment and I have this much production. But you've got this captive audience that's going to be your sounding board. And even, you know, again, even if you don't grow in the number of subscribers, you can grow in the value added for those subscribers. So they say, yeah, I'll be more than happy to pay 20% more or 30% more, or 100% more. If now I'm getting pork, I'm getting beef as an option, I'm getting you know, blueberries, I'm getting, you know, all these nuts and oils and things. So I, I love that idea. And I love the the concept of diversifying so much that there truly is this value added, it becomes, it becomes very customer centric, where they're like, why would I ever go anywhere else? Because Colin's got the neatest setup. It's, it's extremely inclusive. It has all of these things. It's a really a one stop shop. And it's, it's very unique, so I just love that business model you're developing there. Yeah, great, thanks. I'm I'm pretty excited about it. And I, I I hope it works out. I hope uh, I hope all those people do think that, Troy. That would be very handy if everybody thinks that and get a few more members. But you know, at at the same time, it's, um, we do have a uh, a good base. Last year we had uh, gosh, I think 25 or so mm-hmm. um, members, and then this year we're up to 40. Wow. Um, okay. And we didn't we didn't push too hard. Um, I do work full time off the farm as well. Uh, I run my own carpentry business, um, and uh, uh, I, it's just myself and and my girlfriend. And I'll hire on some people here and there if I have a big enough job. But um, for the most part, I I just uh, take on jobs that I I know or think I can handle. Um, and uh, um, but the, the farm is definitely where I'm pushing to be full-time uh, as soon as possible. If not, if not this year, then, then definitely next year. I actually just got um, uh, a message from one of, my, one of my childhood friends who wants a timber frame cabin up in the Adirondacks, so I might not be able to pass that opportunity up. I'd love to <laughs> do a nice timber with one of my good friends. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's definitely that's definitely where uh, where we're pushing things with with that. I, I see that potential for if you like you said you've already got a captive audience, you've already got this this great uh, customer base, which are not just customers walking through and buying something at a farmers market necessarily. It's they're like they come up to the farm, they see what you do every week. You know, you become very close personal friends with them. Uh, a lot of these people I've known my entire life. Um, some of them are my friends from childhood. Some of them are my friends' parents from childhood. You know, it's just such a great community, and they're already interested. Like, you know, it's, there's no reason not to try to offer as many things as you can, um, as long as you can 
as long as you can make it work, you know, as long as you can uh, manage it and take care of it. And with the perennial side of things, it's just, I mean, it's so much easier than annual agriculture, I'll tell you that. Right. Have right. To, you just don't have to put as much care into it. Like yeah. You do, but it's different. It's a different type of care. It's not that insane, crazy rush of, of, of necessities that, those plants have for a very brief period of time you know it's even just like like lettuce you know you it, you'll have lettuce heads within like 70 less than 70 days all pretty much all the lettuce varieties that we have from the time you plant the seed to the time you harvest is, is like less than 60 or seven, like 60 to 70 days you know like once you it's usually 45 to, to 50 days and harvesting these things but you have to be on it yeah have water to them all the time you have to make sure that there's no weed pressure you, have to, you know take care of them if it's too hot they need to be updated or if it's too cold they need to be covered with row covers so that they don't get burnt by any frost or anything so you can't too early so it's just there's so much work that goes into that annual uh, annual production side um and then you know some of these hazelnuts i like was like oh my gosh this thing i've had it in the bag for like way too long this, this one sun bundle that i forgot about and like, oh should i even plant them it's like well i'll stick them in and like all of a sudden they're like three feet tall and you're like oh yeah that was easy it's like covered in weeds you like pull through the weeds you're like oh yeah there's buds on it yep oh look, there's leaves on it we're good and uh you know same with like the apples the apples here are like a huge um inspiration for because they just are everywhere and they don't stop and some years one tree won't produce and then the next year it'll just be hanging with fruit and uh that's kind of the coolest thing is like once you get to that point where the where the perennial side of things has taken over and you can literally just kind of sit back and go out and do a little pruning here and there weed whack around it or you know ideally have cows go graze or pigs go munch underneath it and do that whole thing so yeah yeah that's definitely pushing pushing that farm towards the Yeah, and I, and I think that's a key element, and I want to underscore that part as well. So looking at all this diversification, that diversification can become maddening if they're completely independent, you know, almost like uh, tentacles on an octopus. If they're all going different directions, then you can really run yourself thin. But with your embracing and your training in permaculture, this, this function stacking, so one system actually helps in other areas. So, so again, thinking about this idea of, of your apple orchard that you're producing these apples for this guy for cider and then there's other potential for that as you get that cleaned up more production of, of apples but apples on the ground can now equate to feed for animals grazing through it at a, at a quick pace or um, apples on the ground or, or even even the pasture grass around the trees as you clean it up that becomes a place for your cattle then your chickens fall follow behind like salatin model where you're using them for pest control and they're busting up all the uh, cow patties. You know, those type of things where you're function stacking and helping reduce, uh, you know, helping that activity provide benefits uh, across the board, whether it's a tangible product or some of these intangibles when it comes to uh, weed pressure, fly control, all those type of things. And I think that's where the magic happens when you put forth that effort, you get a system in place and then it, it, it almost becomes auto-generating, but like you said, just a little bit of touch points here and there as opposed to, like you said, annual where you're out there every day doing something. Yeah, definitely. It's, and it's so cool to watch the systems work together so well. It's like, you know, I've, it's so many people have said it before, all these these uh, mentors of mine, I guess you would say, are the people that I'm reading their, their literature, the people that are writing these books. It's, you know, Mother Nature doesn't farm without, without animals. So the the animal aspect of the farm just works so well, uh, especially when you're working on a broader scale. If I only had two acres, you know, yeah, sure, I'd have some chickens. I probably wouldn't be raising pigs. I definitely wouldn't be raising pigs just because <laughs> it's, for the way that I like to raise them, I would want to move them. Right. You know, I, I need to move them. I, I love, that's my favorite thing is moving them into brand new territory and they go searching around and and, and munching on this and nibbling on that, finding apples on the ground or acorns on the ground, or, or just kind of grazing. I mean, they build 
they'll graze. They'll they'll eat grasses. They'll eat forbs. They'll eat little trees and stuff. And it's just an awesome thing to watch. Um, and then you were saying with the fly control, um, it just started getting warm this spring, and I had the cows down in the barn, and I kind of at this point had gotten them out into a little run, and within like a few days it got warm and it got to like it went from like cold temperatures like staying pretty pretty low pretty frozen most of the time to all of a sudden it was like 55 60 degrees and it was like why explosion <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh what are we going to do and at the time uh like i said before the cows are down at the bottom of the road and then you know, about halfway up is, is where our houses are. A little ways up is where our houses are, um, and and that's where our chicken coop was. So I got my excavator, and I was already planning on moving them away from the house because they're always getting into gardens and getting into the flower gardens and stuff like that. So I locked all the chickens in one night, and I picked them up and I brought them down there, and uh, and and this it's the the chicken coop's not on skids or anything, so I had actually had to like strap it and pick it up and, and drive it down there, which was, which was fun. It worked out, you know, it's nothing, nothing too bad happened. Um, and then, but I got them down there and I was like, gosh, you know, I just focused them right in on, on the cows. And I'm not kidding within like 24 to 36 hours, the fly pressure basically disappeared. Yeah. I mean, it was incredible to see. I I couldn't even the, that first day that the flies really hatched. I couldn't even be down there. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? I moved these chickens in, like less than two days, no problem. And there's still very little problem. So I've been kind of uh, forcing them along, and they're, they're kind of moving around. I only have the cows in about three acres. I'm I've got a ton of uh, electric fence on the way. Um, and I'm going to be setting that up here pretty soon, so I'll get the cows out on a much broader scale. But for right now, they're down in about three acres, um, so I can keep the chickens kind of close to them, and they're just working the area a little bit. But, yeah, it is just so cool to see all these systems work together and, uh, and, and really benefit and just profit off of each other so much. Yeah, yeah. good stuff, man, good stuff. Well, man, I, I appreciate your insight. I know we, we did this a little different than what we normally do with our pastured pig discussions, but I appreciate you letting us take a look at the farm as a whole and how that polyculture is working together and, of course, how you're going to fold uh, pastured pork into that more for your CSAs and, and an additional value-added service there. You, you kind of answered the question that I usually close with there. I think a little bit you kind of talked about uh, pigs on on new section of land, but... Um, yeah, just for the sake of being repetitive, as I like to be, what what do you find you know, the most favorite thing about raising pigs on pasture? Yeah, I've uh, I've, I've been thinking about this question because uh, I know you always ask it, and it's, it's such a great one. And um, you know, the the seeing them on new pasture, that that whole thing, and working with them, that that's really that's that's a great part of it. But for me, um, honestly, I, I I like showing people that it's possible. I think that's my favorite part of it, you know, showing people that it, it is possible. Like I, how I said, the, the guy that I got my first pig from thought I was the craziest kid in the county for trying to keep him in with two electric strands. And he <laughs> thought I was the craziest guy. Of course, he keeps them on a concrete pad in, like, a very, very small area. Right. So, you know, that, that works for some people, and, of course, they're going to try to break out, you know. But, uh halfway through the season he comes up he says oh still in haven't been getting out huh no no not yet everything's going pretty well he came up again like oh you're in a new spot what did they get out you had to corral them in no i just moved them moved them forward no that's pretty neat and then you know (laughs) that's kind of the the case with a few people around here they just thought i was the craziest person for trying to move pigs around the hillside with electric fence but you shock those things on their little wet nose, and boy, they do not want to go past that line. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, that'll um, break them out that quick. Yeah. And with the whole, with, you know, my background and while I was traveling around and not able to farm, I just took that time to kind of be like a bit of a storyteller and like traveling and checking out new places and always checking out new farms and going to going and seeing how 
people in other countries are growing things and always being super interested and telling all my friends about this or that. You know, probably boring some people with with all with all my tree talk, <laughs> animal talk, <laughs> vegetable talk. But um, yeah, it's showing showing people that it's it's just something that can happen. You know, it's something that just a couple people on a hillside can produce a whole ton of food every year. Um, and the pig thing with the just moving them around and producing just such high quality pork off of your property every year and, and having people taste it and be like, wow, you know, I've never, never had anything like that. Before. Yeah. And, uh, they're like, Oh, you, you raised it. Oh, you, you slaughtered it and butchered it and smoked it and did the whole thing. And that's the bacon that we're eating right now. Like, yep. That's it. So showing people is probably my favorite part of it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Colin, if people want to find out more about your setup, where can they find you online? Um, we're, uh, we don't have a website yet, um, but most of, most of the time we just post stuff on Instagram at Starry Ridge Farm or uh, Facebook. Um, uh, that's just Starry Ridge Farm as well. Um, but we're mostly active on, on those two platforms, and we pretty much post something every day. My girlfriend's way better at it than I am, but we're, uh, we're pretty much always posting pictures of either garden stuff or animal stuff or whatever we got going on around here, carpentry projects we're doing. So definitely look us up there. Um, you can also email us if you need to, uh, Farm at gmail.com have any questions if anybody has any questions i'm happy to happy to chat and talk about things and um and go from there good deal good deal all right man well i definitely appreciate you taking the time and talk with me it was exciting to hear about your setup there and that sounds like something i'd love to see one of these days if i ever get to new york again i'll have to give you a shout <laughs> yeah. well you should you're always talking about how much you like it up this way so you I might do. as well yeah. stop by at the farm here on your way through again yeah, we were actually sitting around the dinner table tonight, and both boys were like, uh, "Let's go back to New England." So we're yeah. we're talking about yeah, that. We got to figure out how to how to get a farm sitter. Our farm sitter from last year is no longer available, so we gotta we gotta oh. cover that now. So, but yeah, uh, that definitely makes it harder for sure. Having but, having all those those mouths to feed and for us plants to water. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, man, I uh, appreciate you coming on. I pray, uh, pray Dottie has a good uh, litter coming up soon, and we have to touch base with you again, see how that works out, and and just follow back up with you later. Yeah, definitely. Anytime, Troy. I really appreciate it, and I, I definitely appreciate everything you do. I've been uh, getting a lot of inspiration and just a lot of joy out of hearing everybody's stories that, that you have come on here, and uh, it's really cool to hear you know all the different scales that people are at it's that that's just super interesting to me is all the angles that people are are going at with with what they're doing so yeah. I, I appreciate you do too troy good deal good deal man well i'll let you go pray you have a good evening yeah you too all right take care well all right well i hope you all found that as interesting as i did i really appreciate colin coming on and sharing that uh, experience with us and I, I believe uh, there's definitely some, some stuff to learn there. I, again, love the idea of having these opportunities, these polycultures. Now, again, you may say, well, I don't have those opportunities. I don't have those things in place already. Well, it's one of those uh, things. Uh, you know, if you put it in place now, work on it now, then uh, years down the road, you'll, you'll appreciate the fact that you did it now. It's like the old adage, when's the best time to plant a tree? Well, it was yesterday was the best time to plant a tree. The next best time to plant a tree is now. So consider that when you're looking at diversifying your farm income, diversifying um, it's the diversification for protection when it comes to your business, and obviously just to keep you sane. It's kind of neat to have all these other things going on to, to kind of challenge your brain and uh, give you other opportunities to learn and uh, grow in new experiences. Well, again, appreciate the Patreon support. Just want to do a shout out. To, uh, feel free to check out in the show notes details about that. Uh, would uh, again continue to appreciate your all support those of you that joined those of you that commented and said you really get a lot of value out of the podcast uh, consider it like a digital tip jar if you would and I appreciate that and that money does get put right back into some things that we're expanding for pastured pigs uh, digitally as far as a website and some other features and again all that's detailed at the patreon page so you can see what we're talking about there so uh, it's not only a tip for me, but it's an investment in some additional resources that we all can share 
in the future. Well, all right, well, I'm going to do an all points bulletin now for anyone else that wants to come on. If you know anybody that would like to be uh, interviewed or you know somebody you'd like me to reach out to, let me know. Uh, as we get through the summer here, I've, I've got enough interviews lined up to get us through the summer, but I'd like to have a, a nice, uh, good roster lined up for the fall. And hopefully when the summer uh, foolishness settles down, be able to explore some other topics as well as we've discussed. All right. Well, I pray everyone have a great week and thanks again for listening. Y'all take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 